Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Peter the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week we delve into the murky world of lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland and occasionally we venture to renowned cases from around the globe. If you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer and subscribe to us wherever you're listening to us. We also would love a rating and review, if that tickles your fancy as well, because it does mean the world to us, doesn't it, Rachel? If it tickles your fancy, it means the world to us, absolutely. <laughs> and if you like it that much that you want to support us, we can be found on Patreon. We start at £1 per month, the tiers go up, you get various different bonuses. For doing so, we release bonus content every month, and we can be found just by searching for Patreon and Picture the Sea podcast. Now, we do, where possible, also release an episode a week early for our Patreon supporters, so you don't have to be Adele and write a sad love song about a moment in the past or wishing for the future. You can experience the future today by supporting us on Patreon. Clutching at straws there, yes, Andrew, I, I, was I, clutching, I was clutching yeah. at straws. But what? I love Adele, so I'll forgive you. I do love Adele as well. Not Adele Computer, Adele the Singer. <laughs> so as, as with any True Kind podcast, listener discretion is always advised. And I don't know why we put that in there. Like, Does anyone really listen to a True Kind podcast and go, wow, I was not expecting that. Why are they talking about death and murder? But anyway, listener discretion is always advised. And today there's no exception. Spoiler so, for you, there never is. Yes. This episode, I may say things or express views of people that seem wholly unacceptable. I always try to point out the context and I've also tried to reduce it as minimum as possible. And please rest assured, these are not my thoughts, just what people have said in relevance to this case in the past. And you know, when we go a certain way in the past, some opinions and viewpoints are a little bit horrible, aren't they, Rachel? Yeah. And we always do caveat where we have our own opinions uh, that they are ours, don't we? So we we try and make it quite clear. Yes. So, Rachel, how are you doing? Sorry, I was just busy. I wasn't expecting you to ask me. Go on, ask again, sorry. It's okay. Nice to know I've got your full attention there. So, Rachel, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Andrew. How are you? I'm good. I feel like I should be a teacher and telling you to put your phone away, but... um... Naughty, naughty. Um, you're just good. You're not, not. No, there's no other word to describe how you're feeling. I'm sparkling like a bottle of cheap prosecco. You should know by now. Anything but sparkling is not good enough for this podcast. That's true. I'll beat myself later for not giving the right answer. The question I have to ask though is: Are you ready for some true crime? Oh yeah, bring it on. I feel like you're looking at your phone, Rachel. Are you looking at your phone? No, no. I'm looking. No, my daughter has put some messages on. I wasn't even looking at my phone when we got distracted. My daughter's written some messages to me on my notepad. Oh, that's nice. I've only just just realised, yeah. So I love you so, so, so much to my mummy and daddy. Love, Georgia. I love you. DM. I don't know why she's put DM. But I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Full focus no, now, I promise. No, that's okay. I'll leave that bit in there. It's so if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. 
Today, I need to visit a few locations. But to begin with, we're heading off to Franchise House in Blakenhall, which is in Wolverhampton. Now, these days, it no longer exists. But in 1981, it was a high-rise tower block consisting of council flats or public housing apartments to those outside of the UK. And as such, it housed those who are either unemployed or were low-income families. Franchise house, though, sounds like a, a business house. I thought thought we were going to the, a place of work there, but what an odd name to call a block of flats. Yeah, not unless, not unless you're a drug dealer. No, it was definitely not a place of work. <laughs> so we're going back to May of 1981. Now, I don't have an exact date, I'm afraid. So generally speaking, the May of this year in that area would known to be quite dull. Not cold, but not particularly warm. Now, I'd like to introduce us to a young family, Theodore and Yvonne Johnson. We were both 27, and their two young children, who were aged five and six, respectively. The pair had met in Jamaica and were married in 1975, with Yvonne giving birth to their first child shortly afterwards. In 1978, the pair, now with two young children, decided they wanted to bring their family up in England. Now, as Yvonne had been born in England, she had citizenship, so she returned in 1978 with the kids, and Theodore followed in September of 1980, once he had gotten a valid visa to move over. Now, Theodore was a cabinet maker, but since he moved to the UK, up until that point in May of 1981, he'd only had one job, and that job had only lasted for three days. Now, Yvonne did work, but I was unable to find out what she did. And it's pretty difficult sometimes to find things out about people when it's such a long time ago. So apologies for that one, listeners. But from this point onwards, some of what I say will be purely subjective, and it may not be true, and I've tried my best to make sure it is, but I'll let you know what is fact and what is not fact. So firstly... The pair lived in the 9-4 flat in Franchise House. That much we know. And we also know that, because we got this from witness testimony, that the pair would argue frequently. Why they would argue, I don't know. Being a young family, with one of the adults not only not working, but in a totally different country, and a family being on a low income, and in a society where, like it or not, racism existed, and it was quite overt at that time, in some points. Well, I'm oh. guessing they wouldn't have really had um, um, like support from others in, in the early 90s if, if there were like um, yeah. racist um, in the 80s, like yeah. encounters. Sorry, yeah. in the 80s. Um, yeah. If there were like encounters that the, the weren't like the, you know, the ability to like call the police, I suppose. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that happened, but I'm just saying that all, all of these things they could have had an effect mm. on why they argued, but we don't know why they argued. We just know that they did. Now, what happened next? We have to depend on what Theodore said at the time of his arrest and during the trial. He said that the pair began to fight and Yvonne hit him with a broom. He said that the fight turned a lot more physical and during it, he hit her with both an ashtray and a vase. The purse oh, flat. Wow. Yeah, I know. Oh, well, the purse flat. Remember, it was on the ninth floor. 
and he said the argument spilled out onto the balcony of the flat. Theodore, he said he had his back against the balcony railing, and during the argument, they span around, and as they argued with each other, he instinctively pushed out to get her away from him, and she flipped over the balcony. No, she didn't immediately fall. Instead, she managed to cling onto the ledge with her fingertips, and he said that he just stood there and watched as she lost grip and fell 90 feet to her death. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I got there quite quickly, didn't I, today? But the only part of that story we can confirm as fact is that she fell to her death, dying instantly. Everything else is, obviously, we only have one side of the story there. So, again, yeah, because we only have one side of the story, at the trial, it was a very one-sided affair. It was a mainly he said, she said situation, except there was not a she said part of the story. The prosecution's case was simply that Theodore killed her in a rage and that he was a violent man. The defense's story was somewhat different, though, unsurprisingly. And it was actually a defense that is not allowed in law now, but at the time, it was. And that was the defense of provocation of diminished responsibility. He would give evidence to in the courtroom and the jury that his wife resented him after he moved to England, that she no longer wanted him to be there, and that she had changed. He would say that because she was working, he had to quit his job, which is why it only lasted for three days, that he had to stay at home and look after the kids, that he had to clean up and he had to cook for them. And is he essentially, uh, you're probably going to get to this, but is he essentially blaming the victim for why they had the argument? Is this him building up his defence towards yeah, the argument? Yeah, wow. Yeah, it was her fault why he killed her. Uh, um, which is why I'm very happy that they don't have this not allowed in law anymore. So, yeah, so he had to look after the kids, stay at home, he had to clean up, he had to cook for them. So, so yeah, it was really odd. And he would say that because she changed and she had become violent towards him, it was her fault. And he also said that she had taunted him. And she had taunted him because she had taken a lover from her workplace. Now, again... We've got no proof of this whatsoever. This is just his words. But he has said that she had taken a lover and she had taunted him and she would beat him and say that he wasn't a good enough lover. And so therefore it was provocation. He sounds like, and obviously I'm jumping the gun a bit here with my thoughts and opinions on him, but this just sounds like the classic modern day gaslighter. Like, yeah, you know, she said this to me. She made me feel like this, and it's her fault that you know I had to quit my job and I wasn't good enough for her. And like, you know, she didn't like want to engage in sex with me. And like, how can I be to blame when she was so evil? Like, well, she's not there to defend herself, so you you know you can just get away with saying all of that. Exactly. Yeah, and and yeah, ghastly wasn't even known to exist back then, was it? So no. So the jury, and I I don't have much detail on this because it was 1981, but the jury would come back quite quickly and would find Theodore not guilty of murder. 
but guilty of manslaughter due to provocation. Now, during this summing up, the judge would actually state that Theodore was not a violent man, that he would not have done what he did if it wasn't for his wife, and that he was a good and honest man. The judge would go on to state that Theodore could not be blamed because his wife wouldn't even... His wife blocked him. Theodore claimed that his wife blocked him from going to church on a Sunday, which is one of the reasons why the judge said it showed Theodore was a good man, because he wanted to go to church and he wanted to work. And so... So, so, the, judge, so even the judge like had the wall pulled over his eyes in this case. Well, in that case, it was as it was a acceptable form of defence. And if the jury said provocation, the judge is like, "Yeah, okay." And so I believe everything that you say. Yes, so yeah, the judge fully bought into it. So the judge, given the judge, given that he got manslaughter, not murder, and it was due to provocation, can you guess how long he got in jail? Suspended sentence, months. No, like... no, he got a little bit more than that. He got, oh, right, okay. He got three years in prison. And would that be three years, like, so getting out a year and a half on good behaviour? Yeah, yeah, it would be. Wow. Um, and back then it was just an automatic release as well, unless he got into proper trouble in prison. So now let me fast forward a little bit in time. Some 11 years later, so the 20th of September, 1992, because, of course... That'd be the shortest episode ever if we finish there. And we're now off to Finsbury Park in London. Now, Finsbury Park is in North London and it's in the borough of Haringey. It itself is a large park, but one of the first great London parks that was laid out in the Victorian era. Now, near to Finsbury Park lived Yvonne Bennett. Yvonne was 31 and she had a small baby, less than a year old, with her partner, Theodore Johnson who was now 38 years old. The pair had initially met in Wolverhampton shortly after Theodore's release from prison for killing his first wife, Yvonne. So they're both called Yvonne. They wonder, had... how he... wonder how he explained that one away. Yeah, he probably didn't, to be fair. He... Yeah, he didn't tell her. Yeah, I guess back then it was released, fine, gone. And he probably wouldn't have that whole, um, like, well, Google wouldn't have existed in the early 90s, would it? So no. you wouldn't even be able to, you know, look up criminal convictions or like, I mean, nowadays, one of your mates starts dating. The first thing you do, you go on Facebook and have a good look and say, yeah. oh, do I know them? Do I know any? Do we have any friends in common? Like, yeah, none of that was available. So anyway, sorry. No, no, you're totally right. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't know, but I'm guessing if you're a man released from prison, for killing your wife, even though you said it's provocation, you're probably not going to tell your future partner about that, are you? No, no, that would be a, a weak selling point for yes. you. So, no, I agree. No, they had decided, even though they met in Wolverhampton, they had decided to leave the Midland City and move to London, with Theodore working as a cabinet maker and Yvonne working as a carer in a nursing home. So on the 20th of September 1992, it was a Sunday. It was dry, about 16 degrees Celsius, and a, which is about 60 degrees Fahrenheit. And even though they'd initially got on well, the relationship started to deteriorate. And Yvonne started to seek comfort in a colleague from work. And no! It, yes, and, and they had an affair. Your husband's a psycho, or your partner's a psycho. 
Yeah, she she informed Theodore that she wanted to end a relationship, that she wasn't happy, and she wanted out. Uh-oh. Now, a fight began, which would result in the police being called to their home, and then making him leave the home. So all this we know was fact, because obviously we have the police on record. And And would he, he would have had a criminal record. Do you reckon the police would have... Like had having had the um the call about the domestic um like fight, do you reckon the police would have gone, Oh, we know he's got passed, or they wouldn't have known that at this point? I don't think they would have known that at this point. I don't think I could please tell me if I'm wrong here, but what I think I know for, about the police databases, A, he would have been paperwork back back in the eighties. And so he probably wouldn't have been digitised his past, but also even if it would have been, I don't believe the police forces were joined up by then. And he they Okay, were, yeah. They were now in London and he committed his crime in Wolverhampton. So so no, I don't right. think the I don't think the police would have known. So and plus it was however many years later, eleven years later. So so yeah, the police made him leave the home. Now, the rest of what we know now is unfortunately just from one point of view. So again, I can't say this is totally fact. Does it does this mean that Yvonne didn't survive that attack? Well, it means Yvonne doesn't survive in the end. Oh no. So for some reason, after the police had made him leave the home, Theodore thought that the matter wasn't over and that he could win Yvonne back. So he bought some chocolates and he went back to their home to convince her to have another go at the relationship. So after he arrives at the house, we know for a fact that she was there alone, apart from the young child who was asleep in the other room. And from what we can gather, Yvonne was having none of it. Because she'd only made it clear to him that she wanted out. And she'd also already told her friends in the like, previous to this, and they backed this up, that she told him that the relationship was over. She told him that they argued too much and that he would become too physical. So she just wanted out and that she didn't love him anymore. So while we can guess this is probably what she told him, she definitely told this to her friends. So when he realised, again, subjective, we don't know for facts, but when he realised that she wouldn't take him back and the argument was pointless, this is what he said. Mm. as he wouldn't get what he wanted. He removed his belt and he strangled Yvonne to death with it. Oh, my God. Now, after he realised she was dead, he fled the house and went into Finsbury Park and tried to hang himself. He was wow. found. Yeah, wow, indeed. He was found and therefore he would live and he would be arrested for murder of his third child's mother. Remember he's got two children which obviously no contact with now from his first mm. marriage so he'd be he'd be arrested for the murder of his third child's mother. When the pre-trial was happening, Fido's defence notified that they intended to plead guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. Does this sound familiar, Rachel? It does, it does. I'm surprised that he's going in a second time round for that because by this point, right, they will have, like, the prosecution will have done their research on him. Fair enough, the police didn't share a database, but the lawyers are able, um, the 
um but the barristers are able to uh go and do some digging aren't they and 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 find out a bit more about him although would they have been able to use that against him at trial not a case no it they could have been it could have been used in a sentencing but not yeah, in the trial so yeah. Were, yeah right okay so sorry i guess that completely counteracts my argument that like why wouldn't you opt for for that defense again because it's not like they can they can bring it up because it would be unfair bias wouldn't it that oh yeah. we we we're going to paint this picture of him being a bad man because of his previous crimes. You're not allowed to do that. So, okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll pipe down. That's okay. Yeah. So two experts were hired as is usual, one by the defense and one by the prosecution to assess Theodore to see if he was suffering from any type of mental illness. Now, both doctors, both experts assess him independently and both of them came to the conclusion that he was suffering from a severe depressive illness. So with that in mind, the murder charge was dropped, and as he pled guilty to manslaughter, grounds of diminished responsibility, he was given an indefinite hospital order. So Theodore remained in the hospital for a few years. And in the mid-90s, while he was in the hospital, he was granted temporary leave from hospital, hospital for rehabilitation purposes, and he was permitted to attend a training course. There there he met Angela Best. He was then in his early 40s, and she was some 12 years younger. You're going to go on to tell me that (laughs) he does something again, aren't you? Quite possibly, yes. Oh, my God. In May of 1996, a mental health review tribunal concluded that at that stage... It was not safe for Theodore to be discharged from hospital. The tribunal found if he did not comply with a condition requiring him to disclose any relationship, there would be a serious risk to any woman who became involved in a relationship with him should Theodore suffer from further episodes of depression, as he was expected to do so. The tribunal the tribunal concluded that at that stage the assessment of the outcome of imposing a condition of that nature was fraught with difficulty, and that having regard to the serious danger which Theodore potentially represented to women in the future, it would at that stage be taking an unjustified risk to release him from hospital. So this is in May 1996. So they basically said, we can't risk letting this man out again because the only thing we can do is to say to him, you have to disclose to us and your future partners about your past, and we can't guarantee that he will. So therefore, we're not letting him out. That's May 1996. By 1997, however, it was felt that Theodore could be discharged from hospital, provided that he could be trusted to be frank and open with his care team about developing relationships. Now, a conclusion must have been reached that he could so be trusted but in October of that year, he was granted a conditional discharge from the hospital order. One of the conditions of his discharge required him, and I'm reading verbatim here, to disclose to both his medical and social work supervisor any relationships with women and accept that such dis- disclosure will involve his past history being communicated to such a person. So within a few years of his being released from hospital, Theodore began a relationship with Angela Best, 
Do you remember the woman who we met on a work release? Or sorry, on the yeah. on the course? Yeah. And they, they never actually lived together. And this was in plain breach of the important condition to which I referred to a moment ago, because he failed to disclose the facts of that relationship to any of the persons involved in his care and supervision. But why yeah, I I can see why, like, you know, he's obviously he's obviously like been being treated for um his like mental health right yeah but there's a sane part of him for years that's been able to function as as uh, an adult right um and in those moments where he's not feeling low or depressed or anything like that he will be looking to pull the wool over people's eyes because he he won't want to be treated with kid gloves or yeah confess his like true identity in in those moments where he is like fully you know sane and and uh kind of experiencing like normal episodes if you if you want to call it that yeah what well, i i can i'm not agreeing with him at all but i can totally see why he would yeah yeah i i can't disagree with you there rachel because on the contrary so on the contrary rather than disclose to them he actually positively denied to them that he had or ever contemplated having any relationship with a woman again. And this situation actually persisted over many years. So for years, he just kept saying to them, I'm not with any women. I don't want to be with any women when he was with Angela. So Theodore's relationship, and that actually has to ask questions, sorry, doesn't it, about how much checks they did on these people. They just took it, took their word for it. Because it obviously, that's so bad because you would imagine like he's murdered two previous partners. You would think, I mean, not putting a full scale like operation in behind it, but maybe just checking up on him like ad hoc, not waiting for him to come to meetings or appointments, but knocking on his door or observing him in his environment, like when he was not expecting it, yeah. you know, could have uncovered something he was trying to keep. Yeah, I guess they never lived together, so they may have gone to his house, and obviously, but then there should have still been signs of their relationship. But yeah, no, I, I fully agree with you. So Theodore's relationship with Angela, it actually ended in the autumn of 2016 when she met someone else. We can see a sad pattern here forming. There is a sad pattern, and, you know, now I'm like... Something's definitely going to happen because, yeah, she's met someone else. Lo and behold, he's going to have a, a breakdown, isn't he? Yeah. He could not or would not accept that his relationship with Angela was at an end. And he repeatedly begged her to take him back. But she did not wish any resumption of the relationship. And that, again, we know from... Statements from friends and family. No, it's okay, worth yeah. yeah. It's worth noting that throughout the years since his release from hospital, it was noted that Theodore still suffered from severe bouts of depression. The annual care plans prepared in relation to him noted that early warning signs of relapse into depression included weight loss, poor self-care, and poor appetite. In November of 2016, remember they broke up in the autumn, 
but in November mm. of 2016, it's worth noting that the people that knew Theodore, including his care and social supervisors, did comment and were concerned that he was not eating and that he was losing weight. So, weight loss, poor appetite. Mm. On the eighth, yes, on the eighth of December, two thousand and sixteen, he told a doctor that he was feeling lonely and that he had been thinking a lot about how things had never gone right in his life. Now, a further appointment was arranged for him to be seen a few days later. Theodore actually attended that appointment, but unfortunately, the doctor was unwell, so the appointment was rearranged. Oh, no. There's going to be, it's going to be another situation, isn't it? We've done case after case where this has happened, where an unfortunate series of events has led to the culmination of, like, you know, the moment where the the crime's been committed and it could have been prevented. Yes. So even though that even though they'd now been split up for several months, on the 15th of December 2016, so exactly seven days after his first doctor's appointment, and the same week in which he didn't get to see the doctor again, Angela, on the 15th of December, she kindly agreed to go to Theodore's house. And Theodore was now 64, and she went to his house to help him complete an application form, because that was something which he always found difficult to do without assistance. Now, I think this shows the type of person that she was, that she was still willing to go and help him, even though they were no longer together. So an argument began between them. And again, we'll never know for fact what the argument was about, because Theodore never revealed it. He never gave his side of the story this time. But it's widely accepted that he was angry, that she wouldn't go back to him, and he was jealous that she was in a new relationship. So during the argument, he attacked her in a brutal fashion. He struck at least six forceful blows to her head with a claw hammer. Oh. He, he fractured a bone in her hand as she tried to protect herself against that attack, so we know that she was trying to defend herself. He then strangled her to death, do you see the pattern? With a dressing yeah. gown cord, using sufficient, sufficient force to fracture a bone in her neck. Like, I, I guess, I don't know, um, would the police reports have shown that these items were in the near vicinity of him when he attacked her, or did he go out of his way to, like, grab these prior to her attending his flat? Like, a dressing gown cord to me, unless it's early morning or late evening when you're wearing a dressing gown, that's not so, you'd have to go out your way to go and get that, wouldn't you? Yeah, they were in his house. Obviously, we don't know how the argument happened, so we don't know if they were near or not. Yeah, there's a sense of like potentially like premeditation as well because he's he struck her with something and then and then strangled her. Like, yeah, I don't know though. And the same way as Mm. he killed his second partner. Yeah. So following the murder, Theodore left the house without alerting the emergency services. Now later that day, yes, later that day, yeah. At a railway station, he threw himself in front of a train oh, God. in an attempt to end his own life. Now, he actually survived. But oh, wow. We, but as a result of the injuries which he sustained, his right arm has had to be amputated below the shoulder and his left arm had to be amputated at the wrist. So he had no hands and only 
half an arm, basically. Well, he definitely wouldn't be able to strangle anyone in future. No, good. And and at the at the point that the emergency services are called and they, I guess they they attend the scene. Are the police aware? Have they been alerted to anything going wrong in the flat? Did any neighbours hear the commotion? No, no, it was. I believe her body got found because no one knew he was in a relationship. Remember, so I believe her body got found. Well, no one in. Well, I was more it, thinking like during the struggle, no. has anything banged on the floor and the neighbours have gone? Oh, there's a domestic going on next door. No, no. Oh, wow. uh, they, I, I believe, her body got found when they went to his house of routine. Um, after he tried to kill himself. So, yeah, he would be charged with murder eventually. And when the case came to trial, can you guess what he did, Rachel? He pled diminished responsibility. Yes, that's right. He pled not guilty. And he probably got it. Well, we'll see. He pled not guilty to murder, but guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. I think you could probably guess why I call this episode diminished responsibility now. I can, yeah. So this time around... The prosecution rejected that plea and went ahead and tried him for murder. Medical experts were commissioned by both sides to help in the trial. The defence's expert report provided support for the diminished responsibility, but the prosecution's report did not. On the day the trial was due to start, on the 2nd of January 2018, Theodore actually changed his plea and he pled guilty to murder. He said that he wanted to spare Angela's family the trauma of a trial. I mean, he could have just not he could just not have killed her, and that would have spared them the trauma of a trial, wouldn't it? But, mm. yeah. it's So, like I say, it's worth noting by now that he had no hands, he was 64, and he was suffering from diabetes, and he had glaucoma, so he couldn't see much at all. So his daily care was dependent on others. So being in or out of prison it actually wouldn't have made much difference to him at this stage in his life. He would be sentenced to life. So I don't actually think his, I mean, this is my pure opinion here of people, but I actually don't think his changing his plea was anything to do with sparing Angela's family. I think he probably realised that in or out of prison, his life would be exactly the same because he could hardly see, he had no hands. He needed people constantly to look after him every day. In my opinion, anyway. So he would be sentenced to life with a minimum term of 26 years, meaning he'd be 90 before he got out at the minimum. But that's not the end of it, though, Rachel. There was an appeal. And this time, though, it was actually... Appeal? When you plead guilty? Well, it was actually the prosecution that appealed on the grounds that the sentence was too lenient. Oh, okay. So the appeal judges would conclude that the original judge did not take into consideration enough that he had two previous manslaughter convictions and that he had breached the requirements set upon him to disclose any relationships that he had. On multiple occasions, hadn't he? He'd physically gone out of his way to lie for years. Yeah. Yeah. So they would increase his minimum term to 30 years. So he would be... If he's still alive, which I doubt, he would be 94 before he can even try and get out of prison. What did you say the original minimum term was? 26. Oh, I thought you said 30. Sorry. Right? Okay. So they gave him an extra four years, which, which in my opinion, is pretty pointless anyway, because he's never going to get out, is he? 
So, but obviously they had to deal with the appeal because it came in for another. So that is it. Like he, luckily, he hasn't killed any more people. He won't ever get out to kill any more women. And what do you think of this one, then, Rachel? I mean, clearly a troubled man, um, and an, another case where the system has worked in part in his favor, allowing him twice to be released um, and to to live normal lives, but enabling him through that release to carry on with his like previous behavior, having not not learned that his consequences of um, his actions have consequences. Um, so yeah, a bit a bit upset with the system, really. Um, otherwise, Angela and his second partner Yvonne um, would would still be here today and living yeah. to tell their their side of the story. Yeah, and if this happened, if his first murder—let's call it a murder because it was a murder—if his first murder of his wife would have happened now. He wouldn't get away with manslaughter for that. No. He actually actually gave it his statement in court and to the police in his interview. He Mm. actually said that when he pushed her, he stood there and watched her hanging on with his fingertips. He did nothing and he just watched her until she couldn't hold on anymore and she let go, dropped and died. Because he had painted the picture that she had tortured him essentially, like, you know, with, emotional blackmail or you know which obviously like you absolutely cannot take as a given um because she's not here to tell her side of the story and it's it's those those judges comments from that first case with his wife Yvonne not the partner Yvonne are unacceptable no and 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 look at it this way as well part of his reason he said he had to cook clean and 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 look after the kids. I mean, and his wife had changed. She supported him to get the visa to come over to the UK. She was working. Now, if they had decided that he had to look after the kids, and also let's bear in mind that when he killed her, his two kids were in crash. So it's not like he had to look after them every day. And um, so if she was earning more money, I couldn't find a job, but if she was earning more money, then it would make sense for him and yeah. you know, a low-income family to stay and look after the kids. Re- so, regardless, I, I yeah. feel like that's almost a moot point anyway because yeah. he has hit their father. Like, yes. And there's and one thing that winds me up when when as a, as a, as a mum, as a working mum, you know, you go on a night out or you're away with friends and, and the question is who's got the kids and, oh, um, you know, their dad's looking after them. No, they're they're just at home. It it should be as normalized yes. that men take the helm as well as women to to be a primary care in the in the home. And unless, of course, um, there is you know, obviously not not the not the case where both parents are able to live at home. And in same sex relationships, like you know what happens there, um, you know it that it's a given then, but. Yeah, it's, it's madness, isn't it? That like, oh, I was expected to look after my own children. Like, yeah. no judge should be sympathising with those responses. And who was who who had Yvonne's best interests at heart in that case? Yeah, and no it's no defence anyway, but if she really was having an affair, it doesn't matter if she was or not, they were never able to find this person, the prosecution or defence. So obviously I don't mm. think she was, but... Um, and his second, the second victim, one year, 
they conclude that it's too dangerous to be let out because he can't be trusted to disclose relationships. It was actually less than a year later, less than a full 12 months, he's let out and trusted to disclose. How does that happen? But yes, it's it's hopefully these type of things don't happen in the future. I think they may, but hopefully they don't. Yeah, that, the whole situation is, is pretty mad, really. So, shall I wrap this one up then, Rachel? Let's go. So, this has been Season 3, Episode 23, called Diminish Responsibility. And if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. At what point exactly should a person be responsible for their actions? And if they're truly not responsible, should they escape punishment and eventually be set free? It's an interesting question. It is. And one that, you know, we can probably go back and forth on and dive into on a whole other podcast, Mm. couldn't we? Yes. So thank you everyone for listening. And to our new listeners that have joined us recently and our old listeners, we love you all and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Thanks guys. Take care. (laughs) 